Well, hey, everybody. Good to see all of you again. Um, I don't know uh, how you, oops, thank you, how you handled this, uh, but on uh, Independence Eve, which was last night, did you leave milk and cookies or milk and apple pie for Captain America? Because I don't know which. I'm conflicted. I've seen memes for both. I'm not sure what to do about that. So anyway, so whatever you tried to do, hopefully you are having a great holiday weekend. I know that uh, we are. Uh, the weather's beautiful. Mosquitoes are bad. The weather's beautiful, and that's okay. So that's good. Anyway, but I'm glad that you're here with us today, whether you're online or whether you're in the, in the congregation. It is so, so good to have all of you here. Um, over the last few weeks, uh, I've been up to something. Um, I usually am. But in this particular case, I've been trying to lay this backdrop for, for King David in a very historical and cultural way because I think that um, if we're not careful, um, if we're not careful about uh, how we um, set these stories, we sometimes can end up in some weird theological places. And so I want to make sure that we have got a, a good understanding of this. So when Israel conquered the promised land, um, Canaan, later Israel, um, each one of the tribes took a particular geographic area. And if you ever get a chance, go online, Google it. It's actually fascinating to see where some of the tribes ended up. And <clears throat> uh, you can identify them. And each tribe is, is governed by the tribe itself and the various families within that tribe. And yet, God had to appoint from time to time certain judges when crisis arose or as needed. Because sometimes just groups of people need leadership depending on, on what the circumstances require. And so we have this, um, this notion of, of the judges that <clears throat> oversaw a lot of the crisis management. But as God expected, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, Israel asks eventually for a king because they want to be like all their neighbors. If, if all their neighbors were going to jump off a bridge, they were going to jump off too, right? I mean, it's just one of those things they wanted to have, be like everyone else. And so what God does, and I think this is, is um, you know, part of the wisdom of God, is he actually establishes three offices to help govern um, this people of his that have kind of rejected him as king. And he said, okay, you're going to get a king, but you're also going to get priests and you're going to get prophets to go along with that. And so you have priests who speak for the people to God. You have the prophets who speak um, uh, on behalf of God to the people. And then you've got the king who kind of administers all of the, the operational management of, of, of the country, if that makes some sense. So you've got these, these three offices that are going on. And we see them throughout now, from this point on, we see them throughout the, the Old Testament. And so we've also met some important people, as you'll recall. First, we met Samuel, who was a priest, but he was also a judge and he was a prophet. He, had all, um, he has all three of those in his background. In fact, he's the transitional person from judge to this office of prophet. Saul is, is Israel's impatient first king. He's rather impatient. And of course, David is a king, after God's own heart, which is where we get the title of, of the, the sermon series. But this begs a question, I think. What does it mean to be after God's own heart? What does that actually mean? And those of you who have spent any time, you know, listening to me speak, I'm 
pretty concerned about what things mean because I, I think sometimes we throw terms around and we don't actually understand what they mean and it might get us into trouble. So what does it mean and where does it come from and how are we to understand it? And even more so, what does it mean for us? What does it mean when we talk about a man after God's own heart? And like you, I've heard lots of sermons about this <clears throat> um, from time to time. And it seems to me that many uh, of the, the messages that I've heard, they seem to kind of assign this, I, I don't know what to call it, kind of a mystical quality to it. This idea, oh, man after God's own heart. Only person in the Bible to be named that. Yeah, that's, that's true, actually. But we're going to take a brief look um, today because... Um, I believe it's going to give us some insight into this king, David, going forward. And when it's properly understood, a bunch of pieces are going to come into, um, into place and we're going to get a really great picture of, what, of, of who David was in particular and more importantly, I think for all of us who are followers of Jesus, what it means for us today, right? Because we can say the what, but what's the so what? Does that make sense? So that's kind of what we're after. And so to do this, I want to turn your attention to a couple of places in Scripture. There's, there's not many, but just a couple. Because the, the phrase is first encountered in a passage that we actually read a couple of weeks ago. All right. So let me bring it up for you on the screen. You can see it here. This is 1 Samuel chapter 13, um, verse 13. Um, Samuel is chastising Saul because he was a bit impetuous again. And he says, you've done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Cool. But now you don't get that. Now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Can you even imagine what that would have felt like to be chastised like that? That had to have just stunk at the time. You know, Saul thought he was doing the right thing. And, and actually, if you look at the context, and we've talked about this in weeks past, but in the context, Saul actually did the right leadership decision. It just wasn't God's leadership decision. See the difference? And so here he is, now he's being chastised, and he's actually lost any sense of, or any chance of legacy other than being Israel's first rather impatient ruler. So here it is. And we talked about this, about having your idea of your actions in your heart um, being aligned with one another, and we call that authenticity. But there's another component, is that you have to bring your heart into agreement with what God's word happens to say. That's what we call true alignment. And we'll show that diagram here again in a few minutes. But this is the case where, in the sense of, of Saul, his heart and his actions were aligned, but they weren't in agreement with what God was saying. So keep this, this part in mind. And yet, here's the phrase, this idea here of a man after God's own heart. So God decides, essentially, that a, pla a replacement is in order for king. Now, interestingly enough, the phrase also appears um, in the New Testament. Paul mentions it in a, in, a, in a message that he preached. Here it is in Acts chapter 13. After removing Saul, he made David their king, 
God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So here's Paul, and he's preaching a message, and he's, uh, if, if I recall the context correctly, he's preaching to a group of Jews who would have understood Jewish history, and so he's pulling out these pieces of Jewish history in order to make his point. So this is where we see the phrase elsewhere. So we have an Old Testament reference, we have a New Testament reference. This is really kind of helpful, I think. But he frames um, this particular phrase again. And I think he may have given us a clue here. We'll see in just a moment. So we're back to our initial question. What does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? Now, I think a lot of, of folks believe that it's a comment on David's piety, just his ability to to be um, aligned with God. And, and that's true as far as it goes. Um, maybe that might be it. <clears throat> There's a little bit of, of, of difficulty with that, though. Because, you know, when you look at the entire story of David, as we'll see in the coming weeks, <laughs> um, sometimes David wasn't the most holy of people, to be fair. I mean, there's the whole affair thing. Remember that? Bathsheba. And then there was the murder of Bathsheba's husband. Yeah, that's, that's not the holiest thing either, I don't think. And, and by the way, David was not a great father. By a long shot, he was not a great father. And yet, he still has this label attached to him as a man after God's own heart. So I think we have some difficulty with the, the notion that it's, it's about his personal piety or his holiness. Would it help if I said that the phrase actually appears in other non-Jewish ancient Near Eastern literature? It's a phrase that was circulated throughout the ancient Near East. It's not a Bible thing. In fact, there's a, a, a couple of other places that we find it. And as such, it, it, it seems that this idea of being after God's own heart is actually an idiom. An idiom is a group of words in a fixed order that have a particular meaning that is different from the meanings of each word on its own, or figurative language. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> Great question. Let me give you some examples. Um, my uh, 10-year-old daughter has been studying idi- idioms, and she has some favorites, one of which is eyes in the back of your head, which somehow her mother seems to have. She's noticed. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's some other ones. Uh, raining cats and dogs, which that happened last week. Remember that? Yes, exactly right. We, kn- we understand what that means. Um, we can see the light, or my favorite is a come-to-Jesus moment. And sometimes when people have a come-to-Jesus moment in the business setting, it has nothing to do with Jesus. Did you notice that? I wonder what that's all about. The point is we have these little idioms, and they're phrases that um, when put together, we understand that they mean something other than the words by themselves mean. We've assigned a certain meaning to that particular phrase. So, One of the things that we notice is that this particular phrase actually uh, occurs in Babylonian literature. After the reign of David, it appears. So it is circulated beyond the realm of Israel. And the phrase appears in a royal document. And um, uh, 
essentially what the, the king of Babylon talks about one of his officials being after his own heart. He appointed him after his own heart. In other words, it was uh, someone of his own choosing. Someone of his own choosing. So a person after his own heart is someone of his own choosing. And it shows that God's authority is at, is at stake here, not David's piety. Does that make sense? So God says, I'm going to find someone after my own heart. It's my choosing. I get to decide. I need a replacement because I believe that's what's in Israel's best, best interest over the long haul. Okay, So we've got this aspect to it. However, there's also evidence of it appearing earlier than the reign of David. Um, also in uh, what we would call modern day Iraq. Um, I believe, if I remember correctly, it's Akkadian. For those of you who follow movies, there was a movie a few years ago that um, starred Dwayne The Rock Johnson called The Scorpion King, and he was an Akkadian. And everybody was like, ooh, he was an Akkadian. Apparently that meant like he was a really bad dude or something. I don't, I don't know if that's the case or not, but Akkadian was an actual group of people, and they had a very distinctive language that has um, some similarities to ancient Hebrew. Okay, And so sometimes you would find phrases that were shared among um, these different languages. And we find one of them after um, my own heart. In, in this particular case, where we find it is that one king is writing to, again, one of his officials, and he, he um, praises him for being a man after his own heart. He appreciated him. And what the context of that letter, um, that, uh, that, that clay tablet that, that, that has been found, the, the context of that implies that he was loyal. The idea that's in play here of being after God's own heart is that David was loyal. God was looking for someone who was loyal. Saul did not demonstrate loyalty. Because Saul did what Saul needed to do in a given sense, but he wasn't paying attention to the way God asked him to do it, if that makes some sense to you. So when we see this idea of after God's own heart, what we're really talking about is loyalty. And as we'll see, David was loyal uh, to God's covenant and commands. And, And much of his story is one example after another of loyalty, even when things didn't go his way. So it doesn't have to deal with his piety, his holiness, because we know that he wasn't the most holiest of people. And yet, even though he wasn't holy and even though he blew it, he was still loyal to God. And we're going to see that. Probably the easiest example is that when he is confronted with his sin of Bathsheba and the the murder of Uriah, the first thing he does is he goes back to God and asks for forgiveness. That's loyalty. Because the easy thing would be to raise his fist at God and say, you can't do this to me, and we do it all the time. But a loyal person goes back and says, yeah, I'm going to own this. This was my responsibility, and I blew it. That's loyalty. See the difference? So it's not about holiness, it's about loyalty. At least in this particular case, as I understand this word. And so his heart and his actions were truly authentic, right? And we've seen this before. But he was also in agreement with God's word, even when God's word hurt, when it caused him a certain amount of trouble. 
But he brought himself back into agreement. So he was authentic, but he was also in agreement, and he was completely aligned with, with God and God's plan and God's word. So in many respects, what we see is, is Saul as the contrast to David. Israel saw what was best after a poor example. The poor example being Saul, the better example being David. Now, frankly, I think it would be very easy just to stay on this diagram. And it would be very easy for me to to simply start raising questions um, about your heart. How's your heart in all this? Is it aligned with God's word? But I think that this misunderstanding of after God's own heart points to something a little deeper. Something we need to pay attention to. And I think it brings up a rather uncomfortable question. I don't like uncomfortable questions, but I find them coming up from time to time. How about you? And here it is. Can you truly be loyal to someone that you don't know? Can you be loyal to someone that you don't truly know? Now, full disclosure, I'm asking myself that question. That's not a question that I'm just posing to the universe. I'm actually asking that of myself. David, can you truly be loyal to someone that you don't know? I mean, I know a lot about God. In fact, I probably know more than the average person. You know, I went to school and I studied this stuff and I've got all kinds of resources. If you've been in my office, you've seen my books. I have many. I have lots of resources to access and things to learn, but, but do I know him as a person? That's the real question. I can know a lot about something but actually not know him. It's, it's the difference between knowledge and knowing. And I, some of you have heard me use this example before because somebody can sit down and tell you how to ride a bicycle and you have knowledge of riding a bicycle, but until you actually get into the saddle and put your feet on the pedals and begin to try to balance going forward, you really don't know how to ride a bicycle, right? That's the difference here. I can know a lot about God, but do I know God? That becomes the ultimate question. There's a passage in Matthew 7 that's troubling to me. And Jesus is talking about this. You know, some people are going to come to him and say, hey, we prophesied in your name and we cast out evil spirits and and we we even perform signs and wonders and and Jesus is going to say, yeah, but I didn't know you. Ow! I didn't know you. That seems to be the crux of what Jesus is really after. And I think that's what God was after in a king. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't change from Old Testament to New Testament? He's still looking for the same stuff from his people. But I didn't know you. So the question is, can you be loyal to someone that you don't know? If you want to be after God's own heart, great, that's awesome. But you've got to know him, I think, if you're going to be loyal, if we understand that phrase in the way that it was originally intended. Now, I recognize that something probably just happened as I started talking about this. <clears throat> After a while, you learn how to read the room a little bit, right? 
And, and there's a couple of reactions that most likely occurred when we started talking about this. When I said, you know, can you be loyal to someone that you don't really know? <clears throat> In some cases, I think um, there are people who you realize, you're like, yeah, I'm in the process. I'm trying to get to know God on a daily basis. And you've you know, built some disciplines or some habits in your life in a way that you can you actually um, get to know him over a period of time. And what I want to suggest to you is just please keep on listening to God, being in his presence so that you can learn how to know him. Just keep on keeping on in that particular case. God bless you for that. But I also recognize that there's a group of people who are going to be under a bit of conviction here. Because you've heard this term and you're like, you're wondering to yourself, I'm like, okay, first of all, am I loyal? And can I really be loyal if I don't know him? Maybe I need to know him a little bit better. Maybe you realize you got some work to do. Hey, guess what? Start listening, being in his presence, trying to build some habits and disciplines in your life in order to get to know him. And here's the thing. It doesn't have to start with you know, a full hour of prayer. You know, God bless the saints who can do that. And there are plenty of them. Uh, we had a, Lisa and I had a, a mentor back in Michigan, and he would get up early, I don't know, four o'clock in the morning or something, and he had a little folding chair and a journal by his furnace in his basement. And he would spend hours in prayer. Man, I can't do that. I fall asleep. I just do. Man, I'm just trying to be honest about that. But that doesn't absolve me of the responsibility to actually try to get to know God in some way. Fine, start with five minutes. Start with something. Whether it's a little devotional or something, but you are spending time going, God, this, this next five minutes is for you. This is what I have today. I'm going to work up, but i got to start somewhere. Would you just meet with me? Is there something you got to say to me? You can start there. And God's faithful. He's looking for, for people who are loyal. Well, loyalty starts with consistency. So start there. Now, I also recognize that there's probably some people who are you're either watching or you're here and you're, you're listening to this, and you're hearing something totally different. You're not coming under conviction. You're coming under condemnation. You feel bad and ashamed that you haven't gotten to know God as well as you, you probably should have. By the way, if you ever use the word should in your language, it's usually a sign that you are um, dealing with a shame issue. Quit shouldn't all over yourselves. You hear me? Should is a telltale sign that you've got some shame issues. And here's the thing. And I, want, I really want you to hear this. I'm not doing a good enough job. I'm not connecting with God. Oh man, I'm a bad Christian. Whatever. That voice, even though it sounds like, like your voice, is not Holy Spirit speaking to you. I'm just going to tell you that right now. In my experience, and I've been doing this for a while, the Holy Spirit rarely condemns. In fact, I don't think he ever condemns. And so if you are hearing that voice, please understand that is not Holy Spirit. By the way, it's also not your voice. Because see, sometimes we'll do this too. We'll, we'll just say, well, it's just the truth. 
and you are telling yourself this stuff, this lies, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not whatever it happens to be, and we hear it in our own voice and we think it's us and we're telling ourselves the truth. Nonsense. That too is not from God and it's not your voice. It's not either one of those things. It's your enemy trying to keep you from the presence and try to keep you from listening to God. Because if you're not good enough, why do I even bother? Why even bother? Eh, you're talking about sitting by a, in a folding chair by a furnace. That's not me. Yep, you're right. The guy's name was Jim, and that was his, his story. Mine usually involves coffee, keep me awake, and a journal. That's me. You're going to have your way, and it's supposed to be that way. Your relationship in listening and being in the presence of God is custom, tailored, couture, whatever word you want to use. It's all about how you and God connect with each other. Don't allow that ridiculous voice to keep you from listening and keep you from the presence of God. Don't listen to that. It's not from God. It's not your voice. It's something completely other. See, the question of loyalty is not to shame you. It's not to remind you of some kind of past failure. Well, I've never done it before. I don't know why I'd start now. You know, some of you are going, man, I say that to myself. Yeah, you want to know why? Because I've said it to myself. I'm really good at excuses. I'll bet you I'm better than you are. The point is, is that it's not to shame you. It is not to point out your past failure. And it's not to condemn you about future failings. That's not the question of loyalty. Loyalty is not to point out your flaws, your failings, and your foolishness. It may do that, but that's not the point. The question of loyalty, to be after God's own heart, is an opportunity. You can be loyal. You can get to know him. You can be loyal to the person that you are getting to know. And here's, here's the kicker to all of this. God wants that. It's not like this is just a one-way thing. This isn't, what's the term, unrequited love? That's not what this is. There is a God who loves you, who wants to connect with you, who wants to spend time with you, and wants to speak to you directly, not just through his word, but also through his thoughts and your circumstances and the people around you. He wants to do those things. And you know what I call that? Good news. That's just good news. This isn't a one-way street. It goes both ways. And so if you want to be after God's own heart, that is a phrase that is not reserved for King David alone. We all can be after God's own heart because it means loyal. We're going to see this again and again as we go through the life of David. Can't wait to show you some of those things. It's so cool.